0: Good show, Sportsnet five of the fan. I'm JD Bunkus. Justin Bourne versus technology. Battle as old as time, a classic, a rivalry, happening right before my very eyes. What's up, buddy? How we doing?
1: I don't even know what you're talking about.
0: I sent you a Zoom link. Oh, okay, well I'll click it. It's really not yeah. that much of a battle, is it? <laughs> <laughs> well, you said one sec. I didn't see your face. <laughs> uh, I, uh, I have done "Pixin in deep with you, though. We did a lot of those things up on YouTube. And I would say that our success rate of the two of us showing up at the time readily prepared and having all of our equipment and uh, camera and, yeah, all the tech ready to go. Do you think we did it once? I don't know. It was, it was pretty limited.
1: I'll yeah. give you that. It's uh, <laughs> the last year has been a lot yeah. of trying to figure out how to make things work. That doesn't, they don't always work.
0: You know what though? Sneaky thing about the pandemic, um, forced a lot of people that were technology resistant like myself to learn some pretty basic skills that are going to be integral moving forward Can and that were now? inevitable. Pardon me? Can you code now? I can't code, um, but probably should considering, uh, you know, my prospects. <laughs> <But>
1: either- <laughs> it wouldn't hurt to learn is all no, I'm saying.
0: No, it uh, it wouldn't be the worst idea. Here's the thing about that, though. I'm too dumb. So <laughs> that's already out. Even just, you know, the, the that sa- learn to code, I'm already like, I couldn't do that. <laughs> like, no. What do you mean? You don't even really know what it is. I'm like, I know enough. I know enough. I don't think I could do it. But, yeah. Um, I'm, I'm confident
1: I'm a smart guy. That's one of those things. It's like it's just not happening. It's not happening.
0: Yeah, no. Uh, I, I'm told to learn. Yeah, I would say that it's not maybe a lack of intelligence. It's patience. Um, so either way, uh, there will be no coding for me in the near future. So I, I preface this like just as it was leading into the break about how weirdly – we have not had an off-season breakdown. The last time we spoke, it was at the beginning of free agency and it was more kind of centered around still the conversation of doubling down on this core and having the realization that, oh my God, like they're really, like they're really doing this. That, Killer Instinct was internal, that they didn't go out and say, we're going to go get someone who is outside the organization that is going to come in here and do something. And maybe they explored those options and they just weren't there. But here's what I can promise you. Um, there is nothing about Peter Marazic, uh Nick Ritchie, Michael Bunting, and David Kampf that is about Killer Instinct. Like, those are not uh, Killer Instinct pieces. Um, none of those guys – I think, like, Ritchie actually is, like, a poor playoff performer by all accounts – Uh, Bunting has not done it. Mrazek has been pretty up and down, had a down year there last season. Camp is someone who doesn't really provide any scoring. And, yeah, Kasha is sort of the wild card of this entire free agency where everyone goes like, hey, this guy scored a lot before. And then you look at his hockey reference page or his hockey DB and you see games played and you go, oh, right. That's why someone with that ability gets that kind of money. Um, Where do you want to start with this? like? Just your evaluation as a whole, like do you have a, I don't want to almost do like a letter, do you want to do letter grades basically guy by guy here? Do you want to, let's start with this. I got it. Which one of these players do you think is most likely to replace Zach Hyman? On that top line, Austin Matthews, Mitch Marner, and who is there?
1: Well, probably Michael Bunting. I feel like that's going oh, to end up be, I know, I know. It's lean, it's lean, it's lean, but <laughs> the, the, the Nick Ritchie thing is like, what Zach Hyman is, is like the picture of consistency and he brings it and he forechecks and you can just count on him day in, day out. If you ask anyone who followed a Nick Ritchie team, that is like the li- li- literal opposite of what Ritchie is. It's like, yeah, he's big and he's talented and he can do awesome things. He just doesn't all the time. You don't see him for five games, ten games, and then he does some stuff and he's physical and you're like, I love this version of Nick Ritchie. That's the opposite of Hyman. Hyman had no talent ceiling. Like, he he couldn't dangle. He had no. He never faked a shot in his career. He, you know, he didn't blow people up. But Richie can do those things if he's there and if he's present. So I don't think it's going to be Richie. Um, Camp is like a very solid defensive center, which is something the Leafs haven't had. There's no like, is this guy a center? Does he play center? It's like they got a center here, and he plays plays some defensive hockey. uh, So it ain't going to be him. So then we're kind of down to Kasha, who's going to play nine games this year. I wish the guy well, and I hope he plays well. And it's a good bet because if he plays, if he's healthy, he might be all right. But Bunting feels like the guy who's going to end up there. It's it's
0: one of those things where you feel like they lost a loony and they got like a half dozen dimes in the process. So here's what I know about Bunting. His shooting percentage was ridiculously high, so the goal totals last year are like... It's, it's, that basically tells you nothing, right? He'll And, you know, I had Paul Bizanet on right after they had signed him. Um, actually, I think that it was just so obvious the Leafs were going to get him because he was like a guy who was from the Sioux and he was yeah. a grinder. And uh, yeah. The one thing I'm the Leafs like had... It. Well, the one thing the Leafs had at their disposal, and it makes a lot of sense, is that they sold these guys on the idea of, hey, you know, you can come to Toronto for a little less money, Nick Ritchie. Like, I think Nick Ritchie maybe could have got more than 2.5 mil. And same probably with Bunting. Apparently, he left money on the table, and people pointed that out as, wow, they did a great job. I'm like, yeah, but those are exactly the kind of guys in the age range where they should be able to sell them on come here for two years, play with those guys, pad your stats prove that you can be a top six player and then you can still enter free agency before you're like 28 years old and try to cash out one more time a la zach hyman just did like to them hyman should be the blueprint of hey what exactly does zach hyman do that you know most hockey players cannot do he's not an overwhelmingly great skater it's toughness and it's the thing you mentioned it's consistency and cardio is a big part of it like obviously he's in incredible shape to be able to do this over and over again but what would you say is his actual defining hockey skill zach hyman
1: Honestly, it's forechecking and just like yeah. stopping the other team's breakout.
0: Yeah, right. Yeah. Like he's yeah. got great instincts.
1: He gets so, in with his stick leading, and then he gets a body yeah. on the guy, and all of a sudden the breakups, uh, breakout, yeah. is stopped. And nothing that you can't do with effort.
0: Right. And effort, effort—not just on the ice, but effort off the ice as well—in terms of like studying the game and whole working life with coach. Effort. Right. Putting everything into this, and so if you're Michael Bunting, it's like, hey, you have a chance. At seven hundred and fifty K for two seasons to play up this lineup, try to become the next Zach Hyman, and then two years from now go to a market that has to overpay people to get there and get the bag. Like that's what is gonna happen. That is the blueprint for you. So yeah. I actually was looking at this off season as this is supposed to be a little bit closer to what I thought Kyle Dubas was going to do. Like, we've talked about this, right? How he he came here as a, as a GM who was supposed to identify this kind of talent to me where it yeah. was this guy might be an AHLer or he could play in your top 6 and organizations view him completely differently and I know he did just get a look at the top 6 in Arizona but that's what I mean is like seeing an asset like this knowing that you can grab someone on a lower contract and then getting a lot out of them so weirdly like everyone has said to me, anyways, that you can't really give Kyle Dubas a letter grade for this offseason. You can't really judge him on this offseason because what was he supposed to do? And I'm like, if he was always the we can and we will guy, this was always supposed to be what we were grading Kyle Dubas on, was whether or not he could find diamonds in the rough and turn them into legitimate NHL players. And to me, the Michael Bunting one is actually huge because he's missed on Alex Kerfoot. He's missed on Uh, Pierre Malgan, Nick Patan. Malgan, they traded for a guy that got protected. (laughs) (laughs) I know, I know, I know. (laughs) Like, it almost, everyone was pointing to how they fleeced Florida in the Zach Hyman trade, right? Because it was like, hey, this was actually one of Dubas's first trades. And I'm like, yep, but it's actually kind of almost countered by the Malgan deal. (laughs) Like, they, they really did give up a guy who was actually showing a lot of promise. And then they were like, oh, this is a fluke. This guy's not supposed to be this. And then it turned out that he actually was. So, yeah, um, those are cancel outs. But either way, I actually think that these are really interesting signings for a variety of reasons. One is that there's a competition of – you can cycle these guys all through. There's other players that are going to get looks, right? It feels like NFL training camp where it's like, who's going to be the third wide receiver on this team? We've got five, six guys, and they all have different pedigrees. They all do different things. But let's see who goes out there and wants it. Is it going to be Kasha? Can he stay Like, I, – I, I'm sorry. The Kasha one is like he's had so many concussions that I, I just – like, I'm, I'm terrified for him already, and, it, I, and I don't like watching him like, like that. should be, like,
1: five and you're out of the league. They're like, we right. can't see you get a six. We can't watch that happen to you. The collective bargaining agreement doesn't allow for you to get six concussions. I'm sorry. Buddy.
0: It reminds me of it's Clark bad. MacArthur where his family was, like, pleading with him to retire, and he just loves the game so much. He's like, I'm going to keep going back out there. And you're like, please, man, like... Yeah. Don't. How about do Matt it.
1: Calvert, who just retired, was wearing a pink visor last year because the lights were hurting his eyes. You know, after all his brain injuries, it's like, hey, if you gotta wear a pink visor, this is also in my Justin's new CBA. Yeah. Gotta wear a pink visor <laughs> to play. You can't play.
0: I, Blue like, doesn't. Obviously. <laughs> you know. Like, <laughs> you know like, <laughs> like, I, I can't wait to see the guy across, the, like Calvert, across the table. Be like, what are you talking about? Like, I, it yeah. works. It's like, listen, Matt. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Matt, your no.
1: visor's pink, dude. Yeah. Not because of the color pink, but just if you if you need sunglasses to play indoors, you're in trouble.
0: Yeah, your visor gets pushed up a little bit, and you're spiraling. Like no, yeah. you you're not supposed to be in the NHL. But yeah, just what do you so what hopefully do you think about that like, well yeah. My health. thoughts
1: are this. My thoughts are that. I think there is competition now There's competition mm-hmm. for spots Because we don't know who's the guy who's going to get to play with Matthews and Marner Or Tavares mm-hmm. and Nylander So I think it's a good thing this offseason Right now if I'm any one of those guys On a one or two year deal With the opportunity mm-hmm. of this lineup I am not missing the chance at age 26 To come in guns a-blazing you know, so fingers crossed, one or two of those guys, how many of those guys need to to hit for you to say what Kyle Dubas did this summer is successful? To me, if it's one, you're probably okay.
0: Mm. Is it two? Yes, need 100% Rich- it's two. You know why? Because here's – I'm also including into the group. So – and I, I don't know if, again, this is fair or this is me overemphasizing something, but I really did believe that the AHL thing with Dubas and, like – the identifying of those players that were... The Vegas Golden Knights thing, man. Like, how it was... We're going to find the Marciassos here. We're going to find the guys that teams look at, the Carlsons, as we don't really want this player. And the Leafs were supposed to be, to me anyways, the talent identifiers of, we're going to actually get those guys who've been in the NHL and put them in an opportunity to succeed, and they are going to do that. And so far, there have not been hits. There have not. And so I don't just look at this as the two guys that they signed. I, I'm saying two because of a momentary writing off Kasha, which is unfair. So I'm not looking at this as a – because I know Kasha can play, right? If he's healthy, if it actually happens, he can play and he's going to look good. The other two guys, Richie with the inconsistencies and having him play in this role where there's more asked of him, and then bunting especially where it's like a guy that came out of nowhere that you're basically, I don't want to say promising a top six role to, but at least a crack at it, and then maybe he ends up in the bottom six. It's not just those guys. It's also like, they traded Andreas Janssen for Joey Anderson. And who the hell is Joey Anderson still? Like, he's on the outside looking in for some training camp battles next year at this point. So it's like, uh, I know you had to trade Andreas Johnson. I know his stock was down below. But again, if you traded him for somebody that can't play in the NHL, that's another loss. That's another yes. guy that you circle and say, you missed on him. You missed on Engvall. You missed, you just, you've missed on too many of these guys. Where I'm saying the, the only Anderson ones you've been hit one on here. Yeah. Absolutely. But the only guys yeah. they've hit on have been those veteran players that everybody already knew were like established track record guys. Like who was ever going to say that Jason Spetz on 700K was gonna right. be a bad signing, right? Like so they it's, haven't it's, hit on the players that I thought that they would and so they need to now.
1: It's funny because, you know, I think he came from the American League and he saw some guys that he that were good in the American League come to yeah. the NHL and have success. He was like, Zach Hyman was a good AHL player. Wow, he's this good in the NHL and he went, um Oh, who's the example I just had in my head? Oh, Yanni Gord. We played against Yanni Gord all the time. Good AHL player. They offered him a contract. He went to Tampa Bay instead. Great NHL player. And I think he was like, Dennis Mulligan, that guy's a good player at this level. Nick Patan, good player at this level. It can happen. So the AHL guys didn't all... It's not promised that you're going to become an NHL player. So then he went and got the old NHL players who... You know, as you said, established track record. They were fine, but none of them are breaking out. At best, you're hoping to hang on and get what's left, you know, squeeze the last bit of juice out of the orange. This feels like the first year... He's actually gone between those two things. Not AHL guys, not old veteran guys, but guys who are coming off down years, bad reputations, or, you know, in Richie's case, you know, it was just a, a tough year for qualifying offers and the salary cap and what the Bruins mm-hmm. were doing. It feels like they got the guys they were supposed to be getting this whole time. So, you know, it's one of those cross your fingers and hope. Also, before we came on, uh, Frank Cervalli reported reported the salary cap is going up next year. A oh, million dollars. A million dollars.
0: It's amazing. And a
1: Million dollars.
0: You, you look at the NBA and the contracts that are getting doled out, it's always so funny to me where I'm like, That guy got that much money. Um oh Alex goodness. Caruso got thirty seven million dollars. <laughs> He's like, the Caruso. Yeah. I know. <laughs> He's unbelievable. And I'm like, Okay, I guess I guess so. Alex Caruso is uh yeah, closer to the NHL's version of Michael Bunting than he is uh the NHL's version you know, of you know, like, my- my yep.
1: favorite NBA overlap was uh, Steph Curry's fourth year of his deal is worth more than the total of Austin Matthews. Matthews makes yeah. 58. Curry gets 59 in his fourth season of his next deal.
0: Yeah. Um, I, Mind-blowing I, money. I, 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 they used to make the same, getting, the two leagues. No, I know. It just It's getting me really triggered because hockey players don't actually make that much. And, and and I know relative, so someone who's screaming is like, I'll kill for a million dollars of course, of course. I'm yeah. saying relative to other sports, other professional athletes, and we just skewer these guys over getting an extra six hundred grand and we fight over it and we nitpick over it because the salary cap is the dumbest thing, like the NHL's hard cap and I've done a billion shows on this at this point, but like yeah. I, I cannot believe that the NHL is gonna have this off season and that fans are just not revolting at this point at the notion of just keeping hard salary caps when it just hurts the markets that care. It completely... You know, Ben and I used to do these shows during MLB CBA negotiations and how stupid it was that owners would go out and basically tarnish their players and turn star, like fans against their stars. And I think, like... At least in baseball, that only happens once every CBA negotiation. In the NHL, it happens every year. It's like, you greedy guts. You want to get $5 million when you're a top-line winger? Ew, you disgust me. And every fan is like, let him walk then, that greedy piggy. (laughs) And, And it's like... Mitch Marner should not be a pariah in this city because he got an extra million dollars a year. You know, like and it it's is, really it's like
1: an extra million bucks. The Saravelli's yeah. uh, th- headline, it says, um, you know, the cap will go up to eighty two five, though. The billion dollar billion dollar debt players owe to owners is also that. likely to increase. If you have a luxury tax and yes. the Leafs can spend a hundred million dollars, no. can't you bite into that? Like isn't doesn't that take care of the debt owed to owners? Which even Dude. saying that sounds terrible.
0: Again, I'm I'm no I'm not Andrew Yang over here. I, I'm not an economist. I don't know how these things like truly operate. Like I'm sure that if I sat down with you can't someone... can't code,
1: you're not an economist. No, what do you do? No,
0: I know. <laughs> but I I would really love to sit down with someone and have them explain how financially beneficial uh, a, a soft cap with a luxury tax could be. For the rest of the league, because to me, like it just it works for the NBA, and you see small markets like Milwaukee Bucks just won an NBA championship. Like it's it's still possible to win in the NBA. Like the Oklahoma City Thunder right now are positioned better than just about any other team because of all the draft picks that they have and their ability to just kind of go out and take swings at whoever ends up hitting the market. And yet, you still have a league where the Lakers stay relevant and the Knicks not like are like, a team in Brooklyn. You know is right there and. You have massive markets that are heavily involved. And I I think what it really does come down to is that these owners are unbelievably greedy with cost certainty. Where, like, they don't ever want to be pressured into have to spending more. And two is that the worst part of it all is the NHL doesn't – I don't think that they see a problem with this parity. Like, I think that they look at this and the idea that every fan base could, like, have a one-off year and get to a Stanley Cup is like – good for them even though to me it's yeah. like nonsensical that you would ever want to have a league that doesn't have the Toronto Maple Leafs just being like every year we're going to spend the most and we're going to be the Yankees and it's going to be like the the baseball doesn't have a salary cap and they have the luxury tax but like Yankees haven't won since when <laughs> like right, it but the least interesting win no relevant
1: cuz they always have stars at least you know right
0: exactly the- and star teams and all these things so it just it's frustrating to no end i've done a million shows on this
1: yeah, no it, it is frustrating. It's like the the NHL I th- I feel like Gary Bettman's so tied to the idea that losing franchises is a poor reflection on him mm-hmm. that he he's done anything to avoid it and I feel like if they they think that if they don't have the parity as it is that they'll just lose the Arizona Coyotes. They'll just lose some of these teams cuz no one's going to go sign there. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think th- I think that's their big fear is losing markets which Okay, you know, we, I,
0: I I know it's and it's easy to say when you're living in Toronto. Of course, and it is. You're like, I don't care if the Florida Panthers fold <laughs> ten times over. I don't care if right. the Arizona Coyotes go. I actually do. I, I do wonder about that actually. Sometimes, if the Coyotes were like sneakily the worst thing that ever happened in the NHL, because it just feels like they're the one massive anchor on this league constantly, and the yeah. NHL's ability, like, inability and inflexibility to just pull the plug on something that like frankly never worked like the only good thing to come out of Arizona is that that Shane Doan <laughs> it's like we got Shane Doan out of it like that's Arizona and I guess we're going to give credit to Austin Matthews coming from being a byproduct of this like it almost sucks that the Leafs have the guy <laughs> that is well, this is why you have Arizona is because it creates the Leafs best player, but you created the best player that was a monster that's keeping you from winning more games. Like there's yeah, yeah, yeah. there's some kind of an irony to it. But anyway, um back to Leafs. So I guess where I'm coming around to is I'm <laughs> I'm kind of selling myself a little bit on this off season. If they were going to go with this approach I because thought, okay, I, see that I coming. Well, I didn't love the approach of keeping the team together. To me, it's like you had a team in Seattle. There was so much activity, so much movement that I thought, okay, maybe what you have to do is trade Mitch Marner. But then I'm seeing what's going on with Jack Eichel. And it's a nightmare. And I feel like we're going down this road to teams eventually just trying to capitalize on whatever is there for Eichel. Like, and the, the coveting of cap space, I really do look at Marner and say, I think that his value is actually much lower, that there's not a lot of teams that would want to absorb Mitch. Like, tell me, who's out there right now that you think would just, like, chomp at the bit and give you everything for Mitch Marner?
1: Yeah, well, I tell you, there's teams that should, yeah, like, for should, sure. You know, shouldn't Buffalo? Shouldn't Arizona? Shouldn't Detroit? Yep. You know, shouldn't some of these those sort of like bottom end teams? In, what's smarter? 24 years old, but yep. yeah, you're right. The cap hit in in this league is really damaging. Yeah, um, God, it's been tough watching every contract signed amongst star right. players. Goggs' deal it was a seven times seven. Yeah, ah, oh, man, that's tough to watch. I know, but yeah, you're right. That 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 salary cap does hurt. I I do think that there is merit in the the guy who's making the decisions, not overreacting and Kyle Dubas saying, I believe, and this is me being Mm -hmm. Kyle Dubas. I believe that if I get to take five or six runs with a team that has a core of these four all-stars that eventually we will strike a balance during their prime. And we're going to go on a run. Mm -hmm. I think that's the bet he's made. I think it's gone really poorly. um, Mm -hmm. And it's been unfortunate. And I think, I bet there's – I think there's arrogance in this, but I bet he thinks it's just been purely unlucky uh, mm-hmm. over the last year or two and that things will that – their luck will fall break their way one year.
0: Yeah, to me it's always something where uh, the truth is usually closer to the middle of the extreme takes. And yeah. so people who are always like, the Leafs are crap and they got exposed as a non-playoff team and they were never good, they were paper champions, all this stuff. It's like, no, they were good. Yeah. They did get unlucky, but I also would not look at the way that they unraveled in three games and the way that their stars performed, especially. And, you know, like there's stuff like the Marner over the glass penalties and body language counts. And the way those guys looked and the way those guys performed in those games, it's like, yeah, um, there's something to this. And sure, you give guys time to develop a killer instinct and some of it does come down to luck and puck luck and all these different things. But ultimately, like there is more of an element, to me anyways, of you need to prove that you have an internal... Um, toughness or a resiliency or a belief that you can get through hard moments that I, I don't think has been uh, proven by those guys yet. And I, I do think that it's a developed tool to a degree. I think some guys have it. They develop it when they're younger. But I, I don't feel like those guys have developed it, not in this core anyways. And like they showed that like pretty evidently throughout that playoffs. But what I like about this right now is, again, is, okay, if someone could have drawn me up a great Mitch Marner trade or there had been a Mitch Marner rumor where the Leafs could have gotten a couple of like really incredible depth pieces and someone who could still play in a top six role next to Tavares. And I looked at this new Tavares line where basically he gets two new wingers and you bump William Nylander up and you grab someone else. And then, oh, oh wow, there's, you've got a third line center and okay, great. That hypothetical is all right, but I just never heard word one. And I watched all the activity of this off season and there was nothing like, there was nothing that made me go, oh my God, I'm so jealous of that other than some of the contracts that got dealt out to top-end players like Landeskog, where you just kept looking at, or Taylor Hall, and you kept being frustrated with the fact that the Leafs guys still made too much, and they made too much even with the idea that the salary cap was going up. That's just period. Braden, points contract, all this stuff. Like, it all retroactively is bad. I really don't think that you can make a case for it. What I do like, though, again, is just like when I look at this roster, and maybe it's because I'm too close to it, but they're just, there's just so many forwards now. Like there's so many forwards that maybe none can play and that would be a brutal indictment of Dubas. But that's why when you were like, hey, you just need one guy to do it and you'll be fine. I said, no, it absolutely has to be two because if you just look at the names that they've got competing for spots at these camps, the guys that they brought in, the guys that they signed, the guys that have been there from years before. And I guess I should include like um, uh, 19-year-old – uh, why am I blanking? Nick Robertson into this conversation. But it's like they have so many forwards that if they can't find two guys here that can give them like massive surplus on their deals or like big surplus on their deals, and I just – I don't see how this is going to get done. Like I don't right. think that those four guys are good enough to do it on their own.
1: Yeah. You know, the – you know, Robertson's a good one to throw in the mix. And if Camp has a good year too, like there is a number of guys, you're right, that Someone's got to. Probably a couple of those guys have to provide surplus. You know, going back to a couple of things you said earlier, um, you know, the potential Marner deals. The one that, I, if I'm being honest, the one that caught my eye that I was like, "Huh." Like Jack Eichel makes eight million dollars, not ten. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know. You know, Mitch Marner's about the same age and not disgruntled. Uh, you know, maybe he'd be disgruntled once he got there. But like, could you tie a, a thing or two to Mitch Marner to turn that into Jack Eichel? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's not, it doesn't seem that ridiculous to me. Uh, you know, maybe yeah. Buffalo doesn't love it depending on what you tie to Mitch Marner to make that deal happen. But um, I think Eichel's bit... ten,
0: though. I'm I'm pretty sure Eichel's. Yeah, you're 10. right.
1: It's eight times ten. It's eight yeah, times ten. Yeah, I think exactly he's
0: right. ten, and so he's closer to Marner and. If you so, are looking but at cheaper it, cheaper by
1: almost a million dollars.
0: Yep, and I the only thing when I look at Eichel and because I think that was actually the reactionary move was right out of the gate was trade Marner for Eichel because Eichel's available and Marner had a bad playoffs. Make that swap, and then you remember that Jack Eichel has done nothing but also lose and has had a really bad experience with the front-off. Like, everyone has blamed the Sabres because it's so easy to just dunk on the Sabres constantly because they've been bad and they look poorly run, the Pagoulas, like all those things. But, again, my guess is the truth is closer to the middle and that it's not just the Sabres completely railroaded Jack Eichel this entire time. That he may have had Something to do with that dressing room kind of falling apart, and them needing to make some of the deals that they did. The other part is that's just one the of the things
1: that happens off the air that doesn't get set on the air. Some people are like, Eichel's a pain in the ass." That's, yeah. That does get set here and there.
0: Yeah. I don't know why no one ever says it. It's weird. This happens sometimes with different players. I think it's because
1: like, it's a medical issue, and it's like yeah. the guy wants this treatment. The Sabres won't the let him one. get it. That looks yeah. awful.
0: Yes, it does. But that's the other part of this too. Is like um, the medical issue. Is when you look at Eichel, uh, yeah, I gotta believe that part of the reason that he has not been traded for is that if the injury is to a point where you're fighting over how it gets dealt with, that's how not a good injury. A new
1: vertebrae, yeah.
0: That's not. No one's <laughs> arguing over how to handle a you know broken wrist. Like you're right. putting a cast on it, you stabilize it, you don't use it for a while, you go to rehab. Done. Yeah. This you're arguing over who gets what and how this is going to go down. Like that doesn't seem like a thing where the future for that bodes well. It's like the car is good. The engine's Mm -hmm. not great, but the car is good. It's like, wait, what's not great. The (laughs) the spine. Yeah. The spine (laughs) is bad. And it's a controversial decision about the spine. Mm, Seems like something you don't want to touch. So again, I kind of moved myself a little bit further away from the Eichel idea. And then there just was not a thing that like excited me a whole ton. Like, you're gonna trade him to Detroit for a package that's like future stuff and Bertuzzi and something like I don't yeah. know like so I just never I never really saw it and I'll criticize the hell out of them if if Marner sucks this year and he has another one of these performances I'm gonna retroactively just say like oh my god I cannot believe that they didn't blow up the foundation they didn't do all these things but um, to me it's more like the original sin is still investing the way that they did with these contracts and not moving earlier when values were higher and then letting it get to a point where people's values were diminished and in a point where now you you kind of are stuck with things. And so, to me, the thing I will judge them on is whether or not that this depth, this season at the forward group can do something. Because I, I believe in the blue line. I think the goaltending is what it is. Like, we didn't really talk about this, but I, I don't think it's like above average. I think it's like a mediocre goaltending group. Um, yeah. Unless Jack Campbell is who we saw last season. But I can't give him that before he does it in a full year. And Mrazek is like the ultimate up-and-down guy that I – like you hope he gets hot for a couple of weeks, but then you know he's going to be ice cold for a couple of weeks. I just – I don't think that that's like a big upgrade on Freddie Anderson. Like some people are celebrating that Freddie's gone. I'm like, to me, Mrazek is the lesser of the two goalies. So you downgraded a net. The question is going to come down to, can you get secondary scoring? If those guys have a series or a game or two games or three games where they get shut down by a Bergeron line or um, whatever materializes with a, the version of next year's Denoe group, is Nick Ritchie going to punch one in? Is Nick I, Robertson going to find a way to get yeah. one in? Is David Camp going to... Like, a guy who doesn't score at all, can you afford to have someone like that in your lineup? Like, a different version of Riley Nash, essentially, that you went away from when you can't find offense on an offensive team. Like, that's what I think I'm going to judge this offseason on. Like, did you find any depth guys that could contribute?
1: I am wildly ageist when it comes to hockey. And I don't know if I've Mm -hmm. written this article, because I definitely started to write it, and I don't know if I ever published it. But, like, Mm -hmm. I... I like teams that cluster as close to age 26.5 to 28, like 27, mm-hmm. somewhere in there, as possible. You know, the Leafs for years now have been 20, 21, 22, and then 37, 38, 39 on the other side give me a, t- a team of just peak age. Give me the best yeah. seasons of everyone's career. And this upcoming season feels like the best chance of getting the best peak seasons of everyone's career at the same time. If they get some goaltending and some, you know, the D doesn't age out too much or, you know, Muzzin's still good. I, I still think there's a good team here. I think they're going to be really competitive. You're right, though. I'm not sure if they got better.
0: Yeah, I-, I don't think that they got better, but I think that there's a chance they did if they hit on those depth pieces. And like, it's it's funny to me because people act like, there should be a referendum on whether or not Marner and Matthews and Nylander are good. Like we always debate these things. Like, are they that good? Are they that good? Are they that good? And it's like, those guys are all that good. Like they're really, really, really elite hockey players. Tavares too, even for the potential of the downside of his career. Again, this gets back to the same core issue, which is you decided to build a team around those four guys based on the principle that you could fill out the rest of the roster without major issues that you would be able to find other players. And thus far, that has not been the case. Whether it's been Kerfoot, whether it was the Janssen extension, whether it was Kapanen's fit with his team, like fi- who is- the best depth guy that this core has had is Jason Spetza, who was scratched in his first game because it was an absolute long shot, but the guy has been incredible at his role. But what is the other depth piece that Kyle Dubas has ever acquired? It's been Malgan's, and it's been Patan's, and it's been a lot of misses. It's finally time to have some hits. Because I don't believe that having those guys is an impossibility. It's like, do you have the right guy to actually fill out the rest of the roster and identify what this group needs? Because so yeah. far, it's kind of been like, not really, man. Not really.
1: Yeah. No, it's, uh, I was just looking up Tavares' stats. He had 50 and 56 last year. You know, like it's, even if he tails off, he's still going mean, to get, score, what, 70 points next year yes. or something. So,
0: But that's it. Um, there's so much pressure on those guys. So much pressure. And there's more pressure this year because, again, they lost Hyman.
1: Such a good decor now, though. Like, yeah, I, you know, last is. year was their was their best decor, and, and next season it should be good too. Man, there's just a division of absolute like wonderful teams and terrible teams for them next year. Uh, God, they might not they might not make playoffs, and they might win the division. I'm I'm still totally lost on what this team's gonna be.
0: Yeah, I, I will say though, the only thing about the decor is I, I wonder who's the like they didn't replace Bogosian, and. I, well, it's just got to
1: be Sandin and Dermott as a third pair. I know, but I, I don't
0: love. I, I don't really love that unless unless Dermott's game is about to take some massive. Like when we're talking about, you say this all the time. You need guys to do those roles, yeah. penalty kill roles. You got to have penalty killers. Who yeah. like Hall and Muzzin are going to what kill every penalty? Yeah, there's pen, there's a minute Brody.
1: five of every penalty, and then what? Yeah.
0: But and but you're asking three of your top four defensemen to kill penalties like every penalty, and I, I gotta. I think that that comes with a risk. I think that that extra taxation and those hard minutes, that comes with an added risk, especially when those guys, like two of them are a little bit longer in the tooth. And now you're going to be asking Travis Dermott to kill penalties for you or Morgan Riley again. And it's like, that's not great. I'm not a big fan of that. It's not.
1: You know, I think of... This I'm so glad, though, they didn't try to get a depth defenseman at uh, UFA Overpay. time. The prices yeah. were gross. Oh, I know. Just gross. Oh, Derek Forbort's three times three? Yeah. Get out of here. Yeah, I think they know, got like... priced
0: out. Yeah. And that's so... the ultimate option would have been to just bring back Bogosian, but by all accounts, he didn't want to be back in Canada.
1: Oh, uh, Yeah. I mean, so finding someone like that, I can't believe Bogosian signed as cheap a deal as he did, given what everyone else got. I I think his agent dropped the ball. Unless he very specifically chose where he wanted to live, which seems like maybe he did. Plus term, that's true. But yeah, no, so I'm with you that I don't love it. For the Leafs, I wonder if it's like, look, we're better off seeing if Dermott can kill penalties than we are giving $3 million to, you know, whatever oh, depth absolutely. guy is, you know, who, has, someone's, who the Canucks get? They they got a depth guy, too, who is not overly great. Anyway, so I, I wonder if that's how they started. And then they say, okay, well, maybe we can plug that hole later, see who's available in the trade market or waivers later on. Because you're right, that doesn't seem like Sandine and Dermott are your best. All right, no. Keep the puck out of the net you know, kill penalties type of pair.
0: No. And to me, it was the David Savard contract where I think that we should put to bed the discussion about whether the Leafs protected the right players, because based on what the market was for right shot defensemen, you can argue whether or not you think Hall is being supported by Jake Muzzin to an incredible degree or whatever. There's no way Seattle, even with the defenseman they took wouldn't have taken Hall and flipped them to another team. Like, yeah. based on 100%. what the market was for defensemen, Dubas read that one 100% right. And, yes, did it suck to lose Leafs legend Jared McCann? It sure did. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and would you have rather had Kerfoot? But, again, like the the myth of – any possibility of them taking Kerfoot over a guy like Hall I thought dissipated the second that free agency opened and depth defensemen were signing like David Savard signed for like what four million bucks or something three seven five yeah, it's like three, oh yeah. Hall Hall's our <laughs> goner like what are you <laughs> talking about there's yeah. no shot that they were ever going to yeah. leave that guy on the table um, I want to take a break and I want to talk to you about Evander Kane and gambling <laughs> perception in hockey because it's something that is uh, close to both of us it's good show JD Bunkers JT born oh, JT born Justin born follow him at JT born good show sports five Night of the fan good show sportsnet Button Out of the van, Justin Bourne J.D. Bunkus so Bourne has an article up right now he just posted on the sportsnet.ca and uh, you can go to his Twitter account to uh, grab that article and It involves Mr. Evander Kane, who was in the news recently because his wife went to Instagram and put him on absolute blast, posting a message about his, uh, I want to say, what's the word here, his absence as a father, his absence as a husband, Mm -hmm. and then started showing images of uh, gambling for dummies books, saying that his teammates got him that because he was a, he had a gambling problem and that he gambles and has thrown his own games. Um, The validity of this, I have still no comment on. Kane has, you know, vociferously denied these claims, but I, I think that, the conversation I wanted to have with you today, Bourne, is just about like what you think this does at this time. Because here we are where hockey is – or sorry, where gambling is becoming you know, synonymous with sports watching. You and I both um, work with Cool Bet. You and I both gamble on the sport. Uh, single sports betting is uh, you know, going to be legalized in this country. It's going to be more prevalent in broadcast like the plan was you know, for it to be everywhere. And, and I sort of thought about you know, what kind of an impact this is going to have and just how it's kind of like the worst-case scenario for the league um, at this point in time. Like unfounded or, or founded. Like it doesn't matter. It's perception. Mm.
1: Yeah, well, I think if anything, it'll just ensure that there are, there's clearly defined language about what's allowed and what's not allowed and and how, you know, how leagues and players and teams can operate within this space. It is, it is a, not a confusing time, but like, there's a lot to get sorted out here with gambling because, I I mean, there's big dollars at play, you know, I, I think you probably saw like the score got purchased for two billion dollars today. You know, like there are, there's a lot of movement going on in this space. Um, you know, and and I don't think that we ever assume that players are going to be involved in these things. Mm-hmm. I imagine they're just going to be outright told they can't. But Kane. Uh, it's almost like this coming right before all of single game gambling becomes legalized is like a, it's going to cause leagues to ensure players don't bet on games. It's just a weird time in sports.
0: So that's kind of the way that I'm I'm thinking about it is that this could end up being just a net positive positive? one is that. It really shows – like si- single sports gambling in Ontario is not allowed or was not allowed because of the fear of fixing games. And the thought process was you had to do a parlay bet, which is you had to bet on at, at least two outcomes because it would be next near impossible to rig two things, right? You might be able to rig one, but you couldn't rig the other, and that's why we have it set up the way that it is, is on Is that Ontario. the idea? Yeah. Huh. So – Seeing something like this, I would I would say people go like, oh, see, like, no, this is why it is what it is and blah, 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 blah. And now that there's so much money to be had in gambling, is this going to permeate into professional leagues? I would say it's patently ridiculous. One is that players make so much money and there's such an opportunity to make so much money that like the, if they like gambling, the gamble of putting money on your own games and your own – it's like a gamble of your career. Like that's a, some next-level high-stakes stuff. You know, like this isn't Pete (laughs) Rose when Pete Rose was making Pete Rose money, right? Like Michael Bunting played 25 NHL games and they were like, here's over a million dollars. You get 750K for two years. And he's like, thank you. That seems great. Um, That's still a lot of money. We lose focus on that sometimes of like you see an AHL player get an AHL deal and you go, Jason Spezza only makes $700,000. How many people do you know that make seven hundred thousand dollars? <laughs> you know, like yeah. who's out there making yeah. seven hundred thousand dollars? That's not a real person money. That's a crazy person money. Yeah. That's that's not a thing. That's a, what careers are out there. Like, oh, so you uh, you build condo buildings? Like, what 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 is your job? <laughs> seven hundred thousand dollars is nothing. Those guys are are not putting <laughs> those things at jeopardy. Number two is how the hell do you throw a hockey game? Like, how do you throw most of these sports? There's like a left point, winger. Point shaving can happen. I think there are other sports where it's a little bit more susceptible to uh, throwing a game. But I don't know what that looks like in hockey. Like I don't – outside of getting a goaltender who like purposefully gets out of position for some goals to try to mess with like totals or the outcome of the game, uh, like – I, I, don't, I just don't – I don't see winger, how a, a winger could impact a game that way in terms of like really tilting or throwing a hockey game.
1: As a winger, like let's say you're in the D zone and you let your D-man get behind you for an opportunity. There's no guarantee he's going to score. Exactly. Like guys on breakaways score like 30% of the time. You might have to blow a coverage five times to give up a goal against. Mm-hmm. You know, And then if you blow coverage five times, you're not playing next game. You know, it, right. I'm not saying it's not possible for the guy for it to happen, but it is wildly, wildly unlikely. No, this is just all I, say I to people I wouldn't bet with, on it.
0: That's it. I, Ironically. I just, yeah, exactly. That's the perfect way of putting it. It's like this is a bad bet. <laughs> if you're going to bet that a player is going to try to rig their own games or that we're going to have a scandal like this in the coming, I, like I, I, just don't see it. Unless it becomes some weird story about how a mafia boss was holding a family hostage. You know, like it's got to be that type of a scenario yeah. here, and I don't think it's going to be. Or he haunted. just knows.
1: It, only way it could be is like if Kane knows and the public doesn't know that a couple of his guys are injured and, and not yeah. gonna play the next game. So he can yeah. go out and bet on the other team and knowing that they're not gonna have their best lineup or something. Yeah. In which case, you know, scummy.
0: Yeah, it would be scummy if he did that. I still don't view What's that good? as throwing a game. I would view that as betting against no. your team having insider knowledge. But it's also not um Like this is one of those rumors too, with like you know insiders and people who are around the game. Is like, what's the limitation on who's supposed to use information like that? Like, if Evander Kane tells his friends that there's a couple of guys that are really beat up. Like, I know, I know players who have played in Europe who have not bet on their own games, but who have told friends things like this. Like, we are definitely going to lose to this team. We are flying, or we're going on a bus from here to there and it's going to be crap and this arena is always tough to play in and we've got three guys that are hurt and we're toast. Like, our guys are running on fumes and they're going to smash us. Like, I, I have seen things yeah. like that. So, I think I always some... think
1: when I see, like, there's... There's, like, Russian uh, hockey leagues and stuff you can bet on uh, Mm -hmm. in some of these websites. And I'm like, if you're someone in touch with that league, surely there's money to be had. Oh, yeah. Because there's no way the books can have a sense of, Mm -hmm. you know, what's happening in the Belarusian League or whatever on a – it's just – so, yeah, I can see that happening in some of the other leagues.
0: Yeah, the problem here, though, is that, like, now everything we do has a paper trail, and so unless you're meeting people in parking lots – and, you know, holding a Bluetooth speaker next to your face as you whisper into your friend's ear what you think is going to be the outcome of the game, if there are accusations lauded against you, these leagues are probably going to have, I would guess anyways, that get built into the next CBAs or whatever, that they're going to have a lot of recourse in order to investigate these things. And so I just, I don't, I don't view, all I'm saying is I don't view this as a real issue But it was just something that stuck out, and and I I had a lot of friends asking me, like, that question is, what do you think that this does to hockey? Do you think that hockey pumps the brakes a little bit on how much it goes, like, all in on gambling next season? Because uh, from my understanding of where, like, coverage is going and what gambling's impact is going to be on professional sports, it's not so much with fans because fans are already – there's already so many fans gambling. It's going to be, you know, broadcast partners integrating more and more – Gambling discussion into coverage, like it used to be, you would be watching a football game, and maybe Al Michaels would make a joke near the end of the game about the spread, but without like alluding to the spread, and you as a gambler would go like, "Oh, Michaels, <laughs> he's he said a thing like that. Gambling exists, basically. He alluded to gambling existing, and, and now I think it's like we've already seen it in terms of the way shows are set up and uh, the way that uh, broadcasts are set up, and I just think that it's going to be like more and more and more and more. Um, I don't think that Evander Kane is is stopping anything. I I don't think that he's... Uh, delaying anything here The
1: best part The best part about gambling coming. There are bad parts But the best part about right. gambling Taking more, a more prominent role In sports coverage Is that it helps us Talk about sports I think Like in terms of Saying to fans Okay The six rookies Who were drafted Or top rookies in the, in the NBA draft This year Here are their odds To win rookie of the year I think that is Immediate context For fans to understand What to expect mm-hmm. From the players Next season You're like Oh okay So like You think that this guy's going to be good Good, but you, re- you know, great example is Scotty Barnes, who was picked fourth by the Raptors, has the fifth highest odds to win Rookie of the the year. So mm. it's like, okay, that's about what it says for expectations for this guy next season versus how the Raptors see him. So you can see that disparity tells a story in itself. I think odds are good at doing that for
0: us. Well, also I could tell you that probably more accurately that Scotty Barnes was plus two fifty to be picked fourth. Because it was a big underdog pick that he would go in that position. Yeah. And I would tell you that if you bet Scotty Barnes to win rookie of the year, you're out of your mind. <laughs> like do not out, do that. Out, if it's the line. fifth best odds for Scotty Barnes, you are making this is the bad bet number two. Do not make that bet. But either way, um I don't know I don't know what ends up happening here with Kane, but uh I, I gotta imagine I don't know who
1: he plays for. The Sharks the players have said they don't want him back. Yeah. So what do you do? You know, a guy scored 22 goals I last that. year in 50-some games. Yeah, the Kevin Kurz uh, reported that Sharks teammates don't want Evander Kane back, and it's not related to gambling. they just like, this guy is a headache. He was late for meetings and practices, and, you know, it's... yeah. It's,
0: uh, I don't know how well, you bring
1: a guy back like that.
0: So, this is now three stops where guys do not like him. Right. Um... Oof. The, it, yeah. it's, it's, like, it's not even that guys don't like him. It's He's
1: disruptive, I think, too, in a yes, culture but that does not welcome it.
0: Yeah, in a culture that doesn't welcome it, but also like he's making money now. Like, What is he, 8-5? Se- he's 7. 7, okay. Seven, Still, 7
1: per for four more seasons.
0: Yeah, who's taking that on? Like, no. I guess if D'Angelo got signed somewhere, that if there was a buyout thing with Kane, someone would probably... Say, for well, a million bucks or something. Yeah, exactly. But I I don't see any scenario where a team would trade for Evander Kane and absorb seven million dollars of contract no. and say like we're gonna do this and like yeah um guys <laughs> that it's funny because at the deadline he it looked like he was gonna be a kind of a good story a couple of years ago last time we were in studio at the deadline he got dealt to the Sharks mm-hmm. and it wasn't for very much I want to say that it was like a second round pick or something that went the other way like it was not a haul. It was a buy low thing for the Sharks. And then he immediately goes to the Sharks and he puts up the kind of numbers that got him that contract. And you thought, hey, maybe, you know, this was actually a pretty smart play by the Sharks. They had this established culture. They're this former, like, there's this team that's one year in, year out. And Kane coming there was finally his realization moment that he had to change who he was as a teammate and as a person in order to, like, stick around in this league and have success in this league. And now you kind of look at it and say, like, Again, in a sport with this type of anti-disruptive culture, as you put it, if you're going to put the Tony D'Angelo's and the Vander Kains on your team, it's got to be like a million bucks and something where you go, well, we can cut him if there's one, Yeah. like he's missed his two practices. Guys are starting to get pissed off. We're starting to feel the vibes of the room are bad. We don't like the way that the coverage is going. Okay, goodbye. Sorry, but like not our problem anymore.
1: What's crazy is like there are teams Habs that do could it. use That's a guy thing. like him. Yeah, there are teams that could use a guy like him, like could, couldn't Arizona or could Everybody. Detroit or whatever or Seattle. But yeah. if you know, if they let's say they give you uh, Evander Kane a first round pick and they eat half of his salary, three and a half million get Kane, you take a draft pick with him, you you're still stuck now. with a guy who messes up your culture for a rebuilding team. Yeah. I just don't think you do it. Yeah. So I don't know what happens with him outside of having to come to Jesus meeting with Cain and the the rest of the team and say he's going to change. It's going to be different.
0: Yeah, except for, again, like you know, three strikes are out kind of thing. Like three teams, it's hard to come back and be like, this time is different. And, yeah. like, don't believe my wife who's at home with the kids solo. <laughs> yeah. It's like believe me <laughs> like, no, I like, yeah. I don't know that's hard 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 sell either way yeah you're right um, that's actually going to be really interesting to see how that plays out I hadn't heard the thing about the teammates I hadn't yeah, seen that report a big that, one. that one yeah. missed me uh, Justin Bourne um, I think you got a couple of days off coming up after this one
1: I do, yeah. Okay, I, I got, them. yeah. I got Saturday, Sunday, Monday. No, no fam for a couple of those days.
0: <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Oh, so yeah, we will talk probably then. And uh, for now, uh, get ready for your show. Um, you All right, got buddy. Got two hours to do. See you, pal. See ya, Justin Bourne. Hockey Central, NHL, and Sportsnet columnist, everything man. But yeah, I guess I don't know. I don't know if it's just the where I, like, my, having spent my whole life watching the Leafs and being disappointed by the Leafs and having, like, the ability to bounce back and look at it from fresh eyes, here's, here's where I'm at with it. I just, I don't think that they're one of the Stanley Cup contenders. I think that they're in the tier right below it, but that there's reason to believe that they could hit on at least two of these guys, but that the reason to believe or the reason to judge Kyle Dubas is not so much on the four players performing well, because those guys will perform, it's about the amount of assets that have walked out the door for nothing and the ability inability sorry to find players that complement the rest of the wa- roster very well on a budget which was always part of the plan so until he does that or i think like that's what the job security is going to be all about anyways